to welcome Andy this morning to bring God's word to us. Um, Andy and Rachel and one of their sons, Benjamin, has been coming for about six months now. For those of you who don't know or recognise him. But you won't be seeing him for much longer either. Because Andy's taken over at Andal Road Baptist Church from September. So let me just pray with you, Andy, this morning. Father God, I just thank you for Andy and for Rachel and their two sons. And I just pray now that you would... You would bless him as he brings God's word to us and that we would have open ears and an open heart to hear what you have to say this morning. Amen. 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 Good morning. It's uh, it's very warm, isn't it? I don't know about you. It's pretty warm for this time of the morning. But uh, we're going to uh, look uh, at 1 Peter 3, uh, chapters 8, uh, verses 8 to 22. And uh, as we carry on this uh, series... Uh, that we've been going through over recent weeks. Uh, remember that these words were written by the Apostle Peter to a church in a time we think of, of persecution and suffering. And, uh, and this is, you like, the last section uh, of speaking about how we are to be uh, in different relationships. So starting at verse, uh, verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better... If it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Let's pray. Father, we've just read about setting you apart as Lord. 
And as we start looking into this passage, we want to affirm your lordship. Lord, that it's all about you and that we are your children because of your amazing grace. So Lord, as we sit here in this warm place, will you help us to hear your voice? And Lord, may that, your voice, impact our daily lives. In your name. Amen. Right, try and keep you awake. Try and keep you awake. It's easy to nod off when it's warm. Okay, let's see how we get on with this. Right. Oh, there's a, it looks like the England football team. I don't know how that's appeared there. That's a bit that's strange, isn't it? But over recent weeks, if you've been here, uh, David's taken us to the gym, hasn't he? Not, not literally. Thankfully for some, I guess. But that was about exercising our faith, wasn't it? It was about uh, having the right attitude about being holy as God is holy. Then he took us to a building site. We didn't have to wear a hard hat, but it was about, wasn't it, that church is God at work and that he wants to change us to be more like Jesus, that we're built on the cornerstone of Jesus. Then last week, we looked at some groups from government to slaves and wives and husbands and the need to live our lives to honour God, wives and husbands. Don't know who that couple is up there. So we reach this final stage of this part of the letter. And Peter talks about church, how we are to relate to each other, and how we are as a church to relate to those beyond the church, even those who possibly are trying to cause us harm. So today, I'm going to take you to a football match, I'm going to take you on a cruise, and I'm going to take you to a silversmith. It's a passage of two halves, and there's a lot to cover in 90 minutes. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Let's kick off. That's the end of the football, okay? That's, that is the end of the England football. There's a bit of football, but it's not England, a bit later on. So, remember some of uh, what we've, we've got, that Peter has already spoken. He's spoken about being chosen by God, about them being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a people brought from darkness into his wonderful light, about the need to have our security in him, and about us being precious to God. And Peter wants them and he wants us to see themselves how God sees us through Jesus. You could call it having God esteem. And here Peter wants to encourage them. And you know, so often we water down what encourage, the word encourage means, don't we? We say uh, something like, you know, I like your hair today. I don't get that one quite so often now. <laughs> Um, but we might say that was a lovely coffee. Don't stop saying those things. But to encourage someone means to put courage into them. It's a little bit different, isn't it, to saying your hair looks nice. And here, in a difficult place to be a Christian, to this church, Peter writes these words. And he starts off by saying that they are to live in harmony to be like-minded, to be together as one when they gather together. You know, not about you, but for us today as Christians, we seem to be pushed more and more to the margins, don't we? 
faith seemingly is put down and looked down upon and expressing our faith seems to get harder and harder. Wouldn't have been different for them in the culture that they were in. And Peter's saying to encourage them, to put courage in them. When you come together, encourage each other. Be as one. As the gathered people, have harmony with each other. I remember working with one church leader some years ago, and he said this, we actually don't need the devil. The church is pretty good at blowing its own feet off. By this he meant destroying itself from the inside out. So we need to be in harmony. We need to be united, not shooting ourselves in the feet. And Peter continues, we need to be sympathetic to one another and to love as brothers. This love is a picture of someone knitting, knitting believers together in Christ and a love that is expressed in selflessness and of service to others, something I'll come on to a bit later. But Peter, he doesn't stop there. He carries on, be tender-hearted, which is about being compassionate, not being harsh. And the word here, there's not a picture for this, but the word here is to do with the internal organs. I didn't think you'd want a picture of that. It's to do with the heart and the liver and the kidney. And it's about being deeply moved for each other. This isn't about surface living, about saying nice things to each other, but never going deeper. This is about sharing life and loving each other from the bottom of our heart. It's about deep emotion, deep compassion, about brotherly love for one another. Peter knows how hard it is to be a Christian and he wants the church to be real with each other. And this is all about real life living, about living deeply, about sharing life, warts and all. Then Peter says, be humble. If we look at Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And we know that Philippians 2 continues, doesn't it, with the example of Christ Jesus, who became nothing, became a servant, and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. So we're to be like-minded. We're to live in harmony together. We are to live as those united in Christ, compassionate, loving each other from the bottom of our hearts, full of emotion, humble, and people who serve one another. It's quite a mirror, isn't it, to hold up in front of ourselves and ask, how are we doing? And then Peter writes, as he continues, to Christians living in difficult places, and as he goes through these words, ultimately, he wants us to look like Christ, to be Christ-like. And the gospel, isn't it, is, is all about God lavishing his love on those who didn't deserve it. That we were enemies of God, that we were far, far away from him. 
that he was perfectly justified to leave us lost with no way of knowing him, but that he didn't. The gospel is about a God of love who has made a way through Christ for us to be brought into a living relationship with him through the cross. And in Christ, it says we've been blessed with all the blessings of heaven and a God who keeps on giving. And so Peter is wanting us to reflect the God who brought those who were his enemies through faith in the cross into his family, people like you and me. He's wanting us to be like that to those around us, not to retaliate, but to bless. Remember those challenging words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We didn't deserve God's mercy. We didn't deserve his grace. But we receive it as a gift from a God who keeps on giving and blessing us more and more day by day. And so we are to be like Christ. We are to be generous. We are to be a blessing to those around us. Not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing those who do evil to us, that we might inherit a blessing from God. A friend of mine had a friend who got burgled, so you could do, call that doing uh, some evil to him. Well, he found out who had done the burgling. And so he got a few more items out of his house and took them round to the burglar and said, where would you like these? <coughs> now, I'm not sure that's an approach that I would use, but it certainly made the person think. He took his shirt, so he gave him a little bit more. I don't know what happened in the end, but I wonder how much that impacted that person and whether it changed his life. Over recent days, we've seen the terrible effects, haven't we, of the fire on the moors. Firefighters trying to put out a fire that just keeps on burning or trying to burn, and a fire that it seems was started deliberately. And the book of James talks about the danger of the tongue that the tongue and our words can be like the sparks that set a forest on fire. <coughs> Churches can easily be set on fire by those who are quick with their words. And so using the words of Psalm 34, Peter says that whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Once a word is spoken... Like a spark that starts a fire, it can be difficult, can't it, to put it out? And so into this picture that Peter's painting 
of a harmonious church, living as one, loving each other, being compassionate, being humble, being Christ-like. Peter says that with each other, with those around you, refrain from evil speech. Stop speaking deceitful words. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, starts, doesn't it, with Jesus coming as the Word, full of grace and truth. And as those following Christ, we also need to be his people who are full of grace and truth. Not deceitful, but full of salt and light, love and humility. That's the picture of church that God wants to build. They're hard words to hear, aren't they? They're challenging words to hear. Instead of evil, choose good, he continues. And that's something that he then focuses on, really, for the next few verses. We are to do good. We're to seek peace. We're to pursue it. We are to aim to do good all the time to those around us. It's a simple thought that if we aim to do good all the time to those around us, rather than speak harm or evil, what a difference that would make. Some years ago, I went to a football match. It wasn't England. It was Birmingham City. Any supporters? <laughs> no, no, I'm, not, I'm on my own. It's not unusual. Well, I went to see them play Aston Villa, which, if you know, is the rival, and it was a cup match. And um, I wasn't really into football, I have to say, um, but I went with my two brothers, uh, my two older brothers, and uh, we were sitting there, uh, and you can imagine the language. I won't repeat any of it. Uh, it wasn't nice. It was real tense match, uh, and it was getting near the end. And suddenly... I don't know how, Birmingham scored. And that was something in itself. And if you've been to a match like that, you know that for the next few minutes, the people around you are unrecognisable. My two brothers, I don't think I've ever seen them go so mad. And I've not really been to such a tense match. And I remember thinking, blimey, I better stand up and clap or do something, because I look like I'm not really here. Um, so all these people around me were going absolutely mad really mad, if you can imagine that, celebrating this goal. And I kind of stand up, do a bit of jumping and, and clap. Think nothing of it. I think we won, possibly. Probably didn't. Um, but we, um, we get back home and my, my sister-in-law opens the door. She says, well, you didn't celebrate much, did you, when they scored? I'm thinking, well, how does she know that? And apparently the TV camera had focused on one person <laughs> at that particular moment. Not for very long, she hastened to add. It suddenly panned onto someone else. But for that moment, I was the sole focus of that TV camera. But you know, what goes on next in this passage is it says that God is always watching us. He's not seeing a crowd here this morning. He's seeing you as an individual. He's focused on each one of you. He knows all the details of your life. 
He knows you. Your thoughts right now. How hard it is keeping those eyelids open. Maybe that's your thought. But he sees you. He knows your prayers, your hopes, your dreams. And he's ready and waiting for you. Ready to listen. Ready to live life all the time with you in all the ups and downs. And you know, when we wake up in the morning, I wonder whether that's a picture that we have of how God views us, that he is fully focused on us, waiting for us to wake up and speak to him. It's a wonderful picture, I think, isn't it? I hope it helps in this coming week. Because, you know, he knows what you're going to say before you even say it, but he still wants you to say it. He's watching and waiting because he's created you to share life with him. And he wants to do that every moment of every day. This is challenging stuff, isn't it? Church isn't about me or you. It's about Jesus. It's for his glory. We're only here because of his grace. So often the culture of the world gets into the church and it becomes about me, me, me. But church has never been about me. It's always been about him. We are his body, saved by grace, who are to live and breathe for his glory. And Peter is writing these words to encourage them, to encourage us to look like Christ in our words, our deeds and our actions. And he continues with this doing good. And he says these words. We the echo uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 12 that says, Live such lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And if you suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. And then he continues, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Why are we to be eager to do what is good? Which I guess would look like us being generous and unselfish and kind and thoughtful. Devoted to what is good. Because in a hostile culture... Peter says people are less likely to harm you if you live your life like that. It's practical advice to those living in a difficult situation. Some years ago, I remember watching a, a debate on a dieting. I have to say it's not something I've really looked at too much. But there was this one woman that was on this debate. And they were interviewing all these different people and what worked for them. Uh, and what didn't work for them. And she said that she was currently on two diets, which the host was really taken aback about. Um, but you think, well, wow, how keen are you that you're doing two diets? And she came back and said, well, I've never found that there was enough food on one. <laughs> well, if you like, Peter is saying, make your daily diet doing good and doing more good. You can have two diets. Doing good and doing more good. Don't fear, don't be frightened, but live your life with a clear conscience. 
so that those who see your good behaviour may be ashamed of what they say about you. And as you eat and drink doing good, I was thinking, the desire to eat and drink ungodly stuff reduces in us as we focus more and more on Christ. As it says in Philippians 2 verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Let's go on a cruise. Not that I've ever been on one. There's a story of a young girl who goes on a cruise ship <clears throat> because her dad's the captain. And so she kind of gets a free ticket. And she really enjoyed her time away. But one night, as she went to sleep, she nodded off, but the sea got rough. The boat began to rock, began to go up and down, and it gets so rough that it wakes her up. And she calls out to her mom, and her mom comes over to comfort her. And she says to her mom, is, is dad captaining this ship at the moment? Was he there guiding this boat? And the mom says, yes, he is. He's there right now. That's what he's doing. And the little girl says, that's okay then. She turns over and goes back to sleep. She didn't fear. I thought it was a wonderful picture. She didn't fear. She didn't worry because she trusted her father. She trusted her father with her life and she felt secure in the knowledge that he was in control. And in verse 15, instead of being scared or frightened, we are to set apart Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord. We're to bow down in worship. It's what it means. Awe and reverence. And acknowledge that he is Lord. He is the almighty God, who is above all and over all. As the passage says near the end, you know, I was thinking of Narnia, where it says, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. God is almighty, isn't he? And we can trust him. We don't need to fear the wind and the waves that come into our lives. Our need is to bow down and acknowledge Jesus is Lord. The words that are used here for set apart... We use in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, hallowed be your name, very similar words. And it's saying, don't worry about the persecutors around you and their words or actions. Look to Jesus, the one who is all-powerful, the one who one day will be judge over all. And it continues, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I'm not sure if you've come across this. I don't know whether you've done it as a church or not. But it's called Just Walk Across the Room. Have you? Are you aware? No? Okay. Well, this is Bill Hybels trying to make evangelism something that we can all do at all times. And he just simply speaks about evangelism being a walking across the room or an office or a playground 
or if you're watching a football match. It's about talking there with those you've gone with. It's about taking an interest in the lives of those around us. And he says this, if we allow people to share their life story, then over time they will ask us about ours, about the hope that we have within us. Be prepared at all times, in all situations, to share the hope, to share Jesus. You know, often that opportunity comes when we least expect it, doesn't it? When we're having that amazing day and we're fully on for God, nothing. When we're having a bad day, things aren't going well, suddenly we get an opportunity. It says always be prepared. As it says in Romans 1, we're not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But just so we don't get into Bible bashing, it also says that we're to do this with gentleness and respect. Even to those who speak maliciously against you, who slander you, who wind you up, who speak bad against you, keep gentle and respect them. For remember, it's better to suffer for doing good than for evil. And then as I hinted at earlier, Peter moves in to the example of all examples. And he writes, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus' sacrifice ended the insufficient parade of animals to the altar. His death was sufficient for all and for all time. As Jesus took our sin, took the punishment we deserve and fully satisfied God's righteous judgment. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, to do good to us, had to suffer persecution, rejection, loneliness, and then that excruciating pain of the cross as he bore our sin and the Father turned his face away. But in doing good for us on the cross, he made a way, didn't he? For us, I like that picture, for us to be reconciled to God forever through Jesus. And he wants us to share that with those around us whenever we get the opportunity to do so. And you know, in all of this, we must never underestimate our lives lived out for God. Our words, our actions, our sharing of hope. As someone once said, preach, 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 and if necessary, use words. Many years ago, I ran a youth drop-in for 14 to 18-year-olds. And we used to have this lady who wasn't in that age bracket. She was probably about 70, who used to like to come in. And these were young people off the street, and they were quite rough and tough. I used to duck when the pool ball was thrown at me. It did happen. But it was that kind of place, and we struggled with these young people. And one day, this lady comes in and she says, I've become a Christian. And we're like, what? In this environment? And she said, I saw the love of God in your actions and words towards those young people. We didn't feel that at all 
We felt like we were hurting these very difficult people. But she saw something else and she became a Christian. We don't know, do we, the impact of our lives and what God is doing through us in the lives of those around us. God can breathe new life into those around you as you witness to the hope that is within you. So as the passage comes to a close, Peter seems to go off on a tangent. What he's really trying to get at, I'm not fully sure. And there are three main interpretations of the passage. And I'd need extra time, sorry, to to do that. But I was encouraged this week because I read, and I'll quote what Martin Luther said about these verses. This is what he said. A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Whew, I breathed a sigh of relief at that point, that if he didn't know, then maybe if I don't, it's not too bad. There are three main interpretations of the passage. You can pick your own. I'm not going to go into them. But what I do think we can take from the words that are written here about Noah is that there's a lot of similarities, parallels to Noah's time and the time Peter was writing to. Noah lived as a minority in a hostile world. So did Peter's readers. Noah was righteous in the midst of an evil world and he boldly witnessed to those around him. And so too are we to be those that boldly share the hope within us. And Noah was finally saved after a very long time building the ark. The judgment came, the flood arrived, and only eight, including himself, were saved. And those were his closest family members, weren't they? So for us today, we might as a church in society not be very big in percentage terms, but we can trust in God who is still drawing people to himself and we can rejoice like heaven rejoices over the one that comes into his family. Peter then makes a reference to baptism. Oh, there we go, I missed that one. Makes a reference to baptism and I'll come on to that in a moment. So as I close, there's a story of a man watching a silversmith. The furnace was hot and the silversmith was taking off the top, from the top, all the impurities as the, as the heat made those impurities rise to the surface. And the person watching was amazed at how the impurities kept coming to the surface because of the heat. And he said to the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is ready. And he said, when I can see my reflection in it. This passage speaks a lot about being like Christ, both to each other in the church and in our actions to those beyond. So this morning, as we look into the mirror, I wonder what imperfections Jesus might be speaking to us, to you, to me, about 
In the crucible of life, it's often in the more difficult times when the heat is hottest that God reveals something in us that he wants to change. Certainly been my experience. But God is wanting to change us more into the likeness of his Son. So this morning, are we in that place of submitting ourselves to the master silversmith? Are we giving ourselves into the arms of the captain of our lives? God works for the good of those, works all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And as God by his spirit works in us, we see more of the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And the fruit of the spirit is the character of Jesus. I love the practical outworking here about doing good that Peter gives. Do good to all. There's something here, isn't there? But that's in the middle of this passage. Jesus has done good to us. We are to do good to those around us. And then finally, how are we doing at sharing that hope that is within us? If you've not been baptised, I encourage you this morning to seriously think and do it. Baptism is such a clear picture, isn't it, of what God has done in us. How when we go down into the water, you are saying goodbye to your old way of living. And as you come up, you are saying you are now living a new life with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That you've entered into a relationship with God. So maybe baptism is the next step in sharing your faith with those around you. Or maybe it's that thought of just walking across the room, taking an interest in your neighbours, those around you, making conversation, listening to their story, hoping that over time, with gentleness and respect, we can share the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot in this passage. But Lord, we pray that you'll keep speaking to us. Help us to hear what it is that you're saying to us at this time. Ultimately, Lord, we want to be people who are living for your glory. People who are sharing you with the watching world around. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us in our daily lives to know that you want to live life with us, that you're listening for us, that you're always watching us. Lord, will you help us to trust you? And Lord, we want to be more like Jesus. And we ask you to forgive us when we live life our own way. We take our eyes off the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, will you lead us? Will you refine us? 
will you make us more like your son? And above all, will you help us to set apart Jesus as Lord? In your name.